Coming up on Chasing the Natty, it's the aftermath of early signing day and we'll talk about some freshmen with the potential to instantly impact CFF 2022. In addition, the transfer portal continues to flow with new information every hour it feels like. Finally, we need to cover this weekend's bowl games and some of the impact players you can see there. All this and more right after this. Goes to the end zone. Oh, what a catch! Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama! Watch out for Mr. Robinson. This kid is going to be special and is already flashing. This is Chasing the Natty, a college football fantasy podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast, and I hope you guys are having a wonderful, wonderful day. And I know some of y'all might be thinking already, Jared, didn't in the last episode you had mentioned that uh, Chasing the Natty was moving towards uh, only having one show per week? And that's true. Uh, we will be doing that. Uh, but there's a story behind why you're getting another episode this week, and uh, most of it has to do with me being a bozo. Uh, for those of y'all that don't know, I am in graduate school, so the past couple of weeks have been pretty hectic time in terms of getting together like final projects, final reports, stuff like that. And my brain went completely scatterbrained, and I forgot in the last episode that bowl games start this week. So when I was talking about like, oh yeah, we're going to like do previews and stuff for the bowl games, I was imagining like another week down the line. And at, pretty much right after that show, I was like, wait a minute, bowl games start this weekend. I got to start preparing another show for you guys uh, by the end of the week here. So that's what we're going to be doing today. But we also got a lot of other things that we need to talk about. Uh, none other than early signing day was yesterday. And for a lot of you dynasty owners out there, you're going to want to start looking at some of these freshmen wondering who's going to instantly impact, uh, teams, who is somebody might want to save down the line. We'll talk about that kind of stuff here in a second, uh, transfer portal news, just more and more information constantly coming out every single day. Usually I try to keep that segment to like four or five people. Guys, I couldn't keep it there. Too many players to talk about, and I'll be talking about all of them tonight. And then finally, we got eight bowl games this weekend. We'll be covering the bowl games from Friday and or this Friday and Saturday upcoming. So we will have plenty of information regarding that. Uh in addition, uh, I am running solo tonight because, again, unfortunately, because this show is relatively last minute because I forgot that I needed to do this uh, or I, I was going to need to do this in order to get uh, this out before bowl games. Uh, I couldn't really get a guest on for tonight, but that's okay because you guys love me and you're going to enjoy listening to my voice for the next 45 minutes to hour, hour and a half or however long it takes me to get through all this because there is so much to get through tonight. Uh, yeah. And before we really get started, you guys know the spiel. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, hit the notification bell. Make sure you leave a comment right down below. Love, love, love talking to you guys down there. Uh, in addition, the best way to reach me always is going to be on Twitter. I am at CFF underscore Jared. You can DM me. You can at me on your post. I will do my best to respond to you in a timely manner as always. 
Uh, in addition, if you're listening to some podcasts, make sure you're following us wherever you're listening, uh, whether that be Spotify, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any and all of the above. And in addition to that, if you're on Apple Podcasts, just leave a little five-star review. Just take a little bit of time to do that. And I always appreciate just reading those whenever people can take the time to do that. Even still, we got a lot to get to, so we might as well just go ahead and move on. And the first segment we're going to be covering tonight is some instant impact freshmen uh, coming into this year. Again, as many of you know, early signing day was yesterday, Wednesday. Uh, As I'm recording this, it was Wednesday of this week. Uh, A lot of uh, fresh or seniors in high school, would-be freshmen, uh, officially signed their letter of intents to go to college. And forgive me for a lot of my uh, big-time college fans. I am going to kind of explain what's a little bit going on here. For some of the listeners who have kind of moved from NFL to college, you may not entirely know what is going on here. So basically, for those of you who don't know, there are two signing days every year for college. There's the early signing day and then there's national signing day. National signing day is in February. That is the last day that prospects should have signed their letter of intent to go to the college for their next year. Early signing day provides colleges an opportunity to go ahead and get the signatures of the players for next year who may either want to uh, enroll early for next year, who may want to um, just go ahead and get their names down. So that's basically what happened here. Basically, early signing day has become like the major signing day because there's a lot of people who really just go want to go ahead and enroll early get onto campus stuff like that and also just want the whole thing to be done with like some people enjoy the drama of recruiting but a lot of prospects are just like man i'm sick of this like let's just go ahead and get this over with and that's what happened yesterday and so we'll be talking about some of those guys today and if you're looking on the screen here i got five guys that uh, across all different positions that I think have the possibility to immediately impact their team and could very well become CFF uh, prospects to own in their very first year. Like they will give you immediate returns. And we've seen this already. We saw it last year. Um, You saw a freshman like Travion Henderson at Ohio State immediately came in and impacted that backfield, took it over really by the end of the season, as much as I love Mayan Williams. Travion Henderson is the guy there going forward. Um, You got guys like um, Xavier Worthy at Texas, who immediately came in and just changed that uh, receiving room. So... Um, anyway, but here's here's some of the guys who I think this upcoming year could easily, easily um, become that next big freshman phenomenon. And so, start out, start nowhere else except for the quarterback position. And those, those of you who are watching, you obviously see I have him up on the screen. Uh, Mr. Cade Klubnik, quarterback going to Clemson. And so, Cade is the number one uh, quarterback in the 247 composite. And really the big thing here for me is that... Um, Clemson's quarterback room is weakened right now, y'all. Like DJ Uyunglele, at least as far as, we, as far as far as we can tell, is just not who we thought he was. Um, just a terrible, terrible year for him. And I was a little concerned, like maybe Fomachon, uh, just might make it a little bit interesting as to who they might want to go with if somebody were to take over DJ. But now he is. Um, but now Tyson uh, Fomachon has transferred out. So it really just kind of leaves DJ and I think maybe like a three-star or something behind him. This quarterback room is especially weakened. 
And he's, uh, Clay, Gabe Klubnick, honestly, just watching him, has gone up against some of the toughest competition, high school competition in the country and has performed at a very high level. And I see no reason why he can't come in and, if, if not immediately take this uh, starting quarterback job, definitely could have it by the end of the year if he performs well enough. Uh, dude is a dual threat quarterback. Um, just in his senior year of high school, his rushing ability, he went 90 eight attempts for 583 yards and 15 touchdowns uh dude is dude is just very very incredible um i did ask uh austin nace from campus of canton because again i'm not a super expert on a lot of these freshman guys so i do my best to kind of keep up with the top guys uh but you know i don't really dive super deep into the film or anything like that so i did reach out to austin nace and i asked him about each of the guys we're going to be talking about here and just to give a couple thoughts on what he thought about them, and really for uh, Mr. Klubnik, uh, he told me that he needs to go back and rewatch him. He wasn't super impressed with him the first time around, but also for, since then, uh, Kate Klubnik won Elite 11, so he wants to go back and watch him a little bit there. And one of the pros that he did have for them, him is that uh, Klubnik is extremely technical and extremely precise in the way that he throws, which I think is going to be huge for Clemson, especially if they're going to continue to have this receiving problem where none of their guys are going to be able to get separation. So I think he'll absolutely improve that. So that's really the biggest quarterback that I think has the best chance of taking over a major program this upcoming year and improving them CFF-wise. Cade Klubnick at Clemson is going to be my guy. Uh, second guy I want to talk about here is probably my favorite running back um, out of this class in terms of what I think they can do in year one. There's other guys like Emmanuel Anderson, of course, who looks awesome. Uh, you got guys like Branson Robinson going to Georgia. Um, obviously, I love him to death because he looks incredible, but I don't think those are going to be guys that are going to take over their backfields in year one. Nicholas Singleton, he's a running back going to Penn State, and I think he can absolutely take over that running back room in year one. Penn State needs a stable running back, something fierce. Um, he is the number four running back in this in the uh, 247 composite, but 247 themselves have him ranked as the number one running back. And he is, uh, I believe, might be their only five-star running back that they have right now. Like, they are in love with this man, and I think he can absolutely be a special, special product for Penn State. Um, not, I'm, I'm not going to say he's just like Saquon. I'm not going to say he's just like Miles Sanders, but he could be the next bell cow back for them. Uh, dude is six foot, two hundred ten pounds, which is like perfect uh, frame and size for running back, as uh, Austin told me. Um, and his comp on two four seven is Nick Chubb, so you know I gotta love that because I'm a Georgia fan. So like, if any you tell me anybody is like, hey, he's just like Nick Chubb, I'm gonna be like, ooh, I like that, I like that a lot. Uh, the big downside I'd say I see with him in terms of CFF is that he's had very little receiving work. It looks like in his high school career, uh, only had four catches. Now, granted, those four catches were for 98 yards and two touchdowns. So clearly he made what he did, but even still only getting four opportunities, I think, uh, I think definitely kind of puts a little bit of a stain on there. But again, his rushing is phenomenal. In his senior year of high school, had 165 uh, attempts for 2,049 yards and 41 touchdowns. Dude is an absolute monster. Absolutely could take over as a bell cow role for Penn State if they needed to. And again, like I said before, that running back room is just nothing for him to really go up against. Uh, you got 
uh, Kayvon Lee, Noah Kane, Devin Ford. Like, those are all guys that you can overcome. None of those guys rushed over 500 yards this past year, so none of them have really solidified themselves. Like, somebody got a knockoff. Singleton comes in, looks like the best back immediately. I could easily, easily see him taking over this job from day one. And it pains me to say that a little bit because, like, I like Noah Kane a lot. But, again, this past year, it's just he had every opportunity to really show that he was the guy, and he just hasn't been the same really since that injury. Um, just a couple of notes from Austin. Again, I asked him about uh, Singleton. Uh, Austin loves his burst. Uh, thinks that he, like he said, I, or like I said earlier, he has the ideal frame and size for a running back. And the big thing I think that sticks out to me from Austin's notes is that he can shake arm tackles extremely well, which is going to be huge for a Penn State running game that has been struggling so much in order to um, break tackles. I mean, they just get stuffed pretty much every time somebody touches them. So I think that's going to be huge for them going forward. And his big con, Austin's big con that he uh, said for Singleton was that his high school competition is really just not up to snuff compared to some of the other guys. And like, I get that. I mean, just look at his numbers. 165 um, attempts for 2,000 yards and 41 touchdowns. Like clearly, clearly there's a mismatch going on there. Uh, only four receptions, but 98 yards out of it and two touchdowns. Like, again, clearly, clearly. Uh, there's like he's facing some guys that just cannot handle him uh, but even still like he's by far my favorite uh, running back coming out of this class in terms of what he can do year one so I think Nicholas Singleton is going to be a huge pickup for you no matter where you where you are at uh, especially if you're in CFF Dynasty I think he can impact year one and then continue down the road with it so third guy we got going on here we got Mr. Evan Stewart wide receiver going to Texas A&M uh, I'll admit off the top, uh, I do have some reservations about Evan Stewart, mostly in the realm of him just being kind of a knucklehead. Uh, looks like he just might have some priorities, just a little bit out of whack. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna focus too much on that because when you turn on the tape, when you look at this guy's stats, you can't deny the talent, and you really just can't deny the opportunity that he's being presented here at Texas A&M. Uh, Texas A&M, as talented as a program that they are, have struggled, struggled mightily to get some of these wide receivers off the ground. Demond Demas is probably the most clear case right now, but even years before that. Um, so when you got a guy like Evan Neal who's coming in with the talent that he has, like you have to be at least a little bit excited about what maybe they could do with him. Uh, his size is a little, um, a little bit on the smaller side, six foot, but 175 pounds. Uh, kind of a speedster, or definitely a speedster, uh, has a 10.58 second 100 meter, which is very, very fast for those that they you that don't know um and just kind of reading through some of his notes uh or some of his uh scouting reports on 247 and just austin's notes as well uh he's a big yards after catch guy which uh so he's very good in short yardage passage short yardage passing situations my goodness try saying that three times fast um but that's good because Texas A&M does not have a quarterback on that on their roster currently, and even with the addition of Max Johnson potentially, um, they're not they don't have like a quarterback that can gun it deep. Like, and that's not but that's not the role that Evan Stewart needs to play. You can hit him on a slant; he could take it to the house. That's what A&M needs him to do. And so I think he could fit very well into this offense if they allow him to get the role that they need to. Now, obviously, the big con here is just Texas A&M's history with wide receivers. But even still, Evan Stewart just strikes me as the kind of guy that could overcome that system and can just on pure talent alone immediately impact both this A&M uh, roster immediately in addition to just potentially becoming a CFF uh, 
prospect in year one. So that's the first wide receiver I will talk about today. The other one I'm going to talk about is Mr. Luther Burden, wide receiver going to Missouri. So he is the number one wide receiver in the 247 composite. 247 has them as their number two wide receiver. Uh, six foot, 200 pounds, just a great size for a wide receiver. Uh, they have him project, or 247 has him projected as a first round pick. And he's actually been comped to Chris Godwin. So if that kind of, if that kind of stuff gets you excited, there you go. Um, and just taking some more things out of Austin's notes. Um, Austin says that he's got great versatility and can create just enough separation for him to make plays on the ball every single time. Guy is a true X receiver, outside deep shot kind of guy. Um, and the other thing I want to point out here is that NIL is a big deal here. Um, Missouri put together a great package for Luther Burden to come to Missouri. If it weren't for that, he probably would not have gone to Missouri. And so with that, it's like Missouri has to put some return on their investment. They're going to pay a guy or they're going to put together all these deals in order for um, him to come. They need to make sure he gets on the field early and they need to make sure that he is returning the, on their investment. So he's going to probably be on the field early, probably instantly the best wide receiver that Missouri has in that room from what I can tell. And... So I imagine him out there on the field early and often, and especially if Sam Horn, the quarterback coming in, can take over that job in his freshman year, because let's be honest, Missouri's quarterback room is just not very impressive. Um, if he can take over like immediately, I can see a very big upside for Burden in his year one. Uh, Austin's cons, the big thing here is that uh, it's just another case where the level of competition is a little bit questionable. So again, I don't really see it. I I think I think Luther Burden is a top wide receiver in this class for a reason. I think he can instantly impact both just with the opportunity Missouri presents him, but also again, uh, I think I think he's instantly the best wide receiver in that room. He'll get on the field early and often. There's plenty of reasons to do so. So, final prospect I want to bring to you guys here, and that it's going to be a tight end. I wanted to make sure I got at least one tight end in here because I I know you guys don't care that much about tight ends, but I still, I still think it's kind of interesting to talk about him. But uh, Jake Johnson, tight end out of Texas A&M. This is the number one tight end in the composition. Number three, according to 247. A six foot five, 225 pounds. So he's going to probably need to bulk up just a little bit in order to really uh, take on the tight end position for college. Uh, 247 has compared to uh, Pat Fryermuth. Uh, so I could easily uh, see him taking over that kind of role in a Texas A&M offense. And again, the big thing here is once again, uh, A&M already has kind of struggled with like their receivers, but one thing they haven't struggled with is their tight end production over the years. And that tight end battle is wide open next year with Weidermeyer gone and Max Wright being the next best option. He only had three receptions this year. So I think Jake Johnson, if he's able to bulk up relatively quickly and he's able to keep his strength and conditioning up, I think he could instantly impact as a true freshman in the Texas A&M uh, offense. Um... Austin's notes and everything, he pretty much agrees with me. That he, Austin doesn't think he'll be impacting freshman year. He thinks he's going to need at least a year to bulk up. I think it's possible that we could see him in a kind of wide receiver tight end hybrid pretty early on. They continue to bulk him up uh, as the years go on. But I could see him impacting almost immediately in this offense. So, uh, just to review, like those are my five, like in my opinion, like instant impact freshmen. These are guys that... like. I don't think these are going to be the top five like 
fantasy players going into the NFL draft like three years from now. I don't think that at all. Like there's plenty of guys in this class. These are going to be guys who I think could come in and be almost starters, if not immediately, definitely by the end of their freshman year. They will be guys that will be impacting CFF rosters by the end of 2022. So again, just a review. Again, I got a quarterback, Cade Klubnik, as really my quarterback here. Uh, Nicholas Singleton, my running back from Penn State. Evan Stewart, wide receiver from Texas A&M. Luther Burden, wide receiver from Missouri. And Jake Jackson, tight end, going to Texas A&M. I think, both, I think all five of those guys, you will likely see just almost instant impact for them going into the season. So, let me take a sip of water. Perfect. And let's go ahead and move on to Transfer Portal news because we got a lot to cover there. It's time for Transfer Portal news. So, uh, Transfer Portal news just continues to flow. And we got a lot to talk about here. And there's really no other place to start than Mr. Spencer Rattler, quarterback out of Oklahoma, transferring out. He is now going to South Carolina. We kind of talked, we really talked about a lot of him already. Uh, if you've listened to my uh, pod or uh, me guessing on the uh, CFFU podcast with uh, Brandon T. Sanders and Mitch Hart, uh, we talked about Spencer Rattler a lot there. Uh, talked about him already, really, when we uh, talked about just him transferring out. Uh, we guys know all the story. Like Caleb Williams comes in, um, Spencer Rattler struggles throughout majority of the year. That Oklahoma offense just looks pitiful at times, and eventually Caleb Williams comes in. Uh, Spencer Rattler's bench. Caleb Williams wins the day for Oklahoma against Texas, and really the rest was history. We all knew that Rattler was going to transfer probably at the end of the year, if not during the season. But good on him. He stuck it out as long as he could. Uh, was always there, ready to go, uh, should uh, Williams go down or anything like that. Um, but even so, we, we, we've kind of covered all that already. We're going to just talk about like what I think of him going to South Carolina. And pretty much my immediate thought was like, well, uh, he wanted he won zero competition. He got it. Uh, South Carolina, if y'all don't know, has been just a hellscape in terms of the QB position. They were starting a grad assistant as uh, their QB there for a couple of weeks there because uh, pretty much all the guys that they might have relied on transferred out. Several of their guys um, were just injured. And eventually Jim Brown or uh, Brown came in near, or Jason Brown, excuse me, not Jim Brown. Jason Brown came in near the end of the year, was looking a little bit like he might bring some stability there. Uh, but at the end of the day, like, um, it's just nothing was really going on for them. So Spencer Rattler comes in. Jason Brown's already hit the portal. I have to imagine Luke Doty, the other quarterback at South Carolina, will probably be hitting the portal as well, uh, unless he wants to. He just wants to be a backup there at South Carolina. So it looks like Spencer Rattler's coming in. He's scaring off pretty much everybody else. So he's getting the he's getting the zero competition that he wants. Um, in terms of how I think this affects the CFF upside, like we're looking at a South Carolina offense that was just awfully run last year. Like, they couldn't get anything really going in the run game or the passing game at times. Like, Josh Van shows some flashes every once in a while. I by far think he's probably the best player on that offense. Um, that run, there's, that, I don't understand the run game not getting going because you got guys like Kevin uh, 
Kevin Harris there. You got um, Marshawn Lloyd, Zaquandre White. Like you got a bunch of guys there that I think are all pretty good running backs, and they just could never really get anything going. Uh, so again, this offense is just struggling at times. And is Spencer Rattler the key to maybe unlocking that offense just a little bit? Maybe, but I'm not going to put my money on it. I really think this him just going to this offense really kind of limits his CFF upside. He's going up against some really good defenses in the SEC division, SEC East division when it comes to like, you know, Georgia, uh, Kentucky. I imagine Florida is still going to have a pretty good defense, even though a lot of their guys have left. Um, I don't know. This is just not, again, I get it on several levels. Like he's going to Shane Beamer, who is an old coach at Oklahoma and stuff like that. Like I get it on several levels. I don't really see this as the opportunity to be like, well, it's um, Spencer Rattler. Like, what else are you going to do? You're going to not draft him? Yes, I won't draft him. Not at South Carolina unless I'm hearing some great things out of him. So that out of the way, uh, Spencer Rattler going from Oklahoma to South Carolina. We'll talk about some more quarterbacks that are now transferring out that we don't know the uh, destination for yet. And there's a lot of them. Uh, so first things first, we got Mr. Cameron Ward, who is a FCS quarterback transferring from Incarnate Word. We don't know where he's going yet, uh, but here's some numbers that will jump off the page at you. Uh, this past year at Incarnate Word, uh, dude threw for 4,648 yards, 47 touchdowns, and just with just only 10 interceptions. Um, that's pretty freaking incredible, incredible enough to where... He is now the number two transfer quarterback, according to 247. Only person beating him out there is uh, Quentin Ewers, which they decided to still give the top overall pick to. But Cameron Ward, an FCS quarterback, beating out guys like Spencer Rattler, Dylan Gabriel, as like a hotter commodity to own in this upcoming season, I think it's pretty freaking crazy to think about. And just looking at some of these teams that have offered him already, um, we don't know where, again, no real rumors as to where he's going, but he's gotten offers from Ole Miss. He's gotten offers from Virginia Tech, Indiana, Houston. Um, probably, I think, definitely the one that interests the most people is Ole Miss. If he goes to Ole Miss, I think a lot of people will instantly put him as really a top, probably a top 10 CFF quarterback for this next year, just putting him in that Lane Kiffin offense. And I don't blame people. Um, but again, I think, I think he's going to be a very interesting one to watch. I think, uh, he's definitely the kind of guy where a lot of people really need to keep their eye on where he goes, because depending on where he lands, he could end up being the kind of guy that flies under the radar for a lot of people who aren't really paying attention and you could easily get yourself a deal here. So Cameron Ward, quarterback of Incarnate Word transferring to who knows where, but I think he's kind of interesting. All right, let's take a look at another one of these quarterbacks that are transferring out. And this one kind of caught me by surprise, but Zach Calzada, quarterback out of Texas A&M, transferring out. And really, these are the kind of things that just kind of tip you off as to maybe what's coming in the future. It looks like either that... Well, there's, there's a couple of ways to look at this. So obviously, Calzada came in for Texas A&M after Hanks King comes down, formed... Well, like clearly the highlight of the year was him um, going up against Alabama and performing extremely well in that game. Uh, so, but even still, like other than that, he kind of had some mediocre performances throughout the year. Doesn't re never really struck you as the kind of guy that was like gonna keep the starting job. And it looks like that's just what's happening here. Uh, Haynes King will be coming back from injury um, for the uh, this next year, so maybe he takes the starting job back. The other rumor is with Jake Johnson. 
as we talked about earlier, he's going to Texas A&M. His brother, Max Johnson, former uh, quarterback from LSU, it is rumored that he will be going. He will be transferring to Texas A&M as well. So I mean, Haynes King and Max Johnson to strike you as two guys that can instantly take over that quarterback room over Calzada, especially if Calzada just in practice is not as impressive as maybe he was at times this year. Uh, so again, I was a little surprised by this, but also when you think about it just a little bit more, it does kind of make sense as to why he's transferring out. I'll watch him. Uh, I don't think wherever he lands probably won't be a guy that I'm looking to draft next year, unless it's somewhere that like, like he goes to Western Kentucky and they're still trying to run the uh, Kitley offense. And I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get, take a look at it. Um, but from one SEC West quarterback to another, we're going to go take a look at Mr. Bo Nix. Um, this is definitely to me the sign of a regime change in Auburn. Uh, it looks like he tried to stick it out with Brian Harrison for just a year. And it looks like that just things aren't working out between him and Harson. That's not saying Harson's a bad coach or anything like that, uh, or that he's going to fail going forward. But it is kind of indicative that Bo Nix is just looking to move on from Auburn. Uh, just hasn't really ever took that next step that a lot of people were looking for. Started as a true freshman. Um, and even this past year, his numbers were relatively pedestrian. Granted, he missed several games, but even still, he only threw for 2,294 yards, 11 touchdowns, three interceptions. So the worst thing in the world, but again, not super impressive. Rushed 57 times for 168 yards and four touchdowns. I imagine that rushing yards yards would be a bit higher if he didn't run around like a madman in the backfield only to get sacked. Um, but a couple of interesting things here to notice. Uh, when he put out this, uh, or when he entered his name into the transfer portal, he had a label on himself that says do not contact, which means that he already knows where he is looking to transfer. Uh, or that's what the end, that, that is what the guess is. So I imagine we will be getting information on where he is fix, fixing to transfer to sooner rather than later. And really the rumors here, obviously a lot of people immediately jumped onto the idea of him transferring to UCF, reuniting with Gus Malzahn. Possibly, but... The rumor that is uh, intriguing me just a little bit more is that of him going to Ole Miss. And like obviously we talked about Cameron Ward. I think Cameron Ward right now is the better quarterback, but also Cameron Ward is not a rushing quarterback. And you need a rushing quarterback in order to truly run that Ole Miss offense that we've seen Matt Corral run for the past couple of years. And it, it as if Bo Nix announced that he was going to Ole Miss, I would be immediately intrigued let's not forget Bo Nix was a five-star quarterback coming out of high school like I know I like me as a Georgia fan and like a lot of us like to uh, rag on Bo Nix over the years and everything how he's overrated and stuff like that but he clearly has some talent if he can find the right coach like maybe Elaine Kiffin that could unlock his abilities it would be a very very interesting career turnaround if he was able to do that uh, but again nothing confirmed nothing uh obviously nothing is uh Set in stone, so we're not going to go into those rumors just a little bit too much. But there's a lot. There's there's some things that are kind of interesting here for me with Mr. Nix. Um, so we got a third SEC starting quarterback in the transfer portal. Now we're going down to the sunny state of Florida, where Mr. Emory Jones is transferring out of Florida, uh, been in a back and forth battle with Anthony Richardson all year long, partially due to just outside pressure for Anthony Richardson to start. Um, 
just partially the fact that Emory Jones just wasn't performing extremely well at times. Uh, this past year, he went uh, for 2,563 2, yards, 19 touchdowns, but 13 interceptions. Definitely hurt himself a lot. His big value came on the ground, though. 133 attempts, 697 yards, and four touchdowns. If he was able to really get that passing uh, work just a little bit more cleaned up, he would be a force to be reckoned with. Um, but it looks like this basically confirms now that Unless something happens with Napier where he brings in a transfer portal or, or a transfer QB or something like that, it looks like it will be the Anthony Richardson show for next year. Now, so where Emory Jones could go, uh, I'm in agreement with uh, Nate Marquis. He immediately pointed out that Liberty should have waited to grab a transfer quarterback until they got Emory Jones. And honestly, I'm, a, I'm in full agreement with that. I think Emory Jones would absolutely kill it in the Liberty offense. It uh, doesn't require him to pass a whole ton, but it gives him the opportunity to rush when he needs to. I think that would have been a great fit. Uh, but without, or if, if Liberty doesn't take them, I'm not entirely sure where he would go next. But I would be interested because, again, when you're playing CFF and you just have a guy who's a rushing QB, I mean, that's you got to keep an eye on them. You really do. So I think that Emory Jones will probably be relatively successful, especially if he drops down a group of five. I think he can be pretty successful uh, wherever he goes. Um, but again, Lennox, where he falls in my rankings is definitely going to depend on what school he goes to. Just like pretty much every transfer. All right, so we've had a bunch of quarterbacks here. So let's take a little bit of a break and talk about a wide receiver. Tavian Robinson, uh, wide receiver out of Virginia Tech. He is transferring over to Kentucky. Um, Past year, he had 13 rushing attempts for 47 yards. Not whoopsie-doo, but it's still interesting that he got a lot of rushing attempts. Uh, he had 44 receptions for 559 yards and uh, five touchdowns. And it looks like just with the coaching change going on there, it looks like he just want to kind of get out of Dodge. And he's going to a program that took another transfer wide receiver last year, ironically also named Robinson and Wandale Robinson and turned him into a potential draft pick for this upcoming year. A lot of people uh, definitely very excited about Wandale Robinson um, this year in the NFL draft if he does decide to go. And I think Tavian Robinson saw that and looked and said, hey, might as well go there. They clearly know how to utilize the talents of a wide receiver. And I think he could very well be successful, especially with Taj Harris um, all of a sudden decommitting from Kentucky. I was a little disappointed in that. I thought Taj Harris would have been very, very good for Kentucky. Um, but even still, I think Tavian Robinson, this is a very interesting fit for him. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm going to need some more news as to where he might fall on the depth chart once we get into the spring area before I really get excited about him becoming like maybe the next big wide receiver for Kentucky. Uh, but even still, I think this is, a, I, I, I understand the logic of why he would go here. And if he really thinks that he could start, he could very much be a great pickup for Kentucky going forward. So, Got one last major transfer I want to talk about here with you. And this one really broke just only a few minutes before the show. And honestly, I'm like, if you're watching on YouTube, like you keep seeing me just kind of flick my eyes over to my phone every once in a while. Mostly because, guys, transfer news is constant right now. And I got I got notifications on that let me know like as soon as uh, uh, any transfer worthy news like comes up. Uh, so I'm like constantly checking over there in case I have some breaking news I want to break right here while I'm recording the show. But anyway, let's talk, let's talk about uh, our last quarterback here. And that's Dylan Gabriel, quarterback out of UCF, transferring, going up to the Power Five. He's going to UCLA. 
I'm pretty excited about this one. I'm not gonna lie. There's a lot of people I know who are just like, ah, like I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Guys, DTR, uh, who I think is a worse quarterback than Dylan Gabriel, uh, finished as the QB 19 this past year. Uh, he would have been the QB 13 if he just had one extra game. That was like 20 points, and yeah, 20 points. That you're you're probably listening to me saying like, oh, you can't just add 20 points. Uh, DTR, I can because he didn't have a game underneath 20 points this year. That's insane. Well, outside of obviously, if you count like the game that he missed, he did miss one game. But even so, like when he played, he only had one game under 20 points. So yeah, I add 20 more points to his season score. He's now the QB 13. You get Dylan Gabriel, who I think is a better quarterback in that system with Chip Kelly. I think that this could this could have some really high upside potential with it. Uh, in 2020, he would uh, he went uh, 3,570 yards, 32 touchdowns, only four interceptions. On the ground, he had 72 rushes for 169 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, so I liked what I saw there a lot. So he clearly has some rushing ability. Like if they can develop that up a little bit to get him on the same level as DTR, God, this could be very, very enticing. And even in 2021, dude played only, let's see, how many games did he play? Uh, Dylan Gabriel played in three games this year. And dude already passed for 814 yards, nine touchdowns and three interceptions. And had 24 rushing attempts for 125 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. That's in three games. That's pretty friggin' impressive. So, and, he, and at that point when he got injured, he was the QB5 on the year. So I like the potential of him going into this Chip Kelly offense quite, quite a bit. And again, if they can really, if they could really just get him going on that rushing ability, um, just like they did with DTR, oh my God, this could be an incredible, incredible fit for them going forward. So, those are kind of the major transfer portals, uh, transfer portal news that I want to talk about. I'll talk about briefly some honorable mentions here that I want to talk about. Uh, first is just San Jose State in general. I think they're putting together a lot of interesting pieces over there. Uh, Shavon Cordero, the quarterback out of Hawaii. Just transferred to San Jose State. Uh, they grabbed two of the Nevada wide receivers that transferred out of Nevada. Uh, they they grabbed um, Elijah Cooks, and then they grabbed um, Lockhart, I believe was the other one. Uh, two guys I, I'm going to keep an eye on while I'm there, because again, those guys know what it's like to be in a pass-heavy offense, and I think San Jose State can absolutely put up some CFF receivers going forward. Uh, we saw it a couple years ago with uh, Gaither and... Um, uh, good Lord, what was the other guy's name? Uh, Trey something. Um, but even so, they, they had a duo of wide receivers back then that they were able to use pretty well. They were a little disappointing this year on the wide receiver front, I will admit that. Um, but even so, Shavon Cordero, if they can clean him up a little bit in the passing game, I think that's a, a very, very interesting uh, team to watch out for. The other big one is just all the, the exodus from Nevada going to Colorado State. Clay Millen, the assumed next starter at Nevada. He's going to Colorado State following Norvell there. You got guys like um you got guys like uh Stovall. You got guys like um God, what was the other one? Or yeah, you, you, you got a bunch of Nevada offensive players moving over to Colorado State. And it looks like they're just gonna re remake the what the Nevada offense that they were building over there. So pretty much any thoughts that you had about Nevada from this year just moved over to Colorado State and you're gonna be fine. And they also have Dante Wright over there already, so he's going to be a great part of that offense, I can tell you that right now. Uh, we talked about Spencer Rattler uh, transferring to South Carolina, but also the 
Coming right along with him was the tight end from Oklahoma, Austin Stogner. He is also going to South Carolina. I think that's a very interesting one as well. Uh, South Carolina has been great this past year in terms of using the tight end, but even still, just him having that chemistry already with Spencer Rattler in that offense, I think it's going to, um, not force, but it's going to just have Rattler just automatically have Stogner as his go-to guy because he knows how to work with him. So I think he's going to be somebody I'm going to keep an eye on for this upcoming year. Uh, wide receiver Ajoa Joe out of Clemson. He is transferring to South Florida. And just in addition from between him and uh, Joffrey Brown from UNC going to South Florida, South Florida is putting together some interesting weapons. Uh, Timmy McLean, their quarterback there, really kind of came on near the end of the season. I think he'll if he can develop his passing game just a little bit, uh, he can definitely make at least one, if not both of those guys, possibly fantasy relevant going forward. Uh, Jacob Zeno, uh, quarterback out of Baylor. He's going to he's going to UAB. Um, I find that one kind of interesting because UAB's quarterbacks have just not been very good this year. And Jacob Zeno could easily come in and take over that quarterback room. And he's got the dual threat ability to really kind of possibly take that UAB uh, offense and maybe give it a different dimension. So I'm going to keep an eye on Zeno to UAB. Uh, this is not really a transfer that impacts this year because I do believe Bryant Kobach will be coming back for another year. I'm not 100% sure on that, uh, but it's something I keep an eye on. But if he doesn't, uh, Penny Boone, running back out of Maryland, just transferred to, to Toledo. And pretty much I, from what I'm reading, it sounds like he is set to be the next guy there if and when uh, Kobach does leave. And then after immediately, Penny Boone could immediately become the next guy. Uh, and then finally, the last uh, last thing I want to talk about here, this is, again, one of these things that kind of broke a couple hours before the show, and I figured it's worth mentioning here. Miles Brennan, who was the quarterback from LSU, not this last year, but the year before he started for a couple games, got hurt, um, just back and forth. He is now returning to LSU after being in the portal since about midseason. It uh, looks like Brian Kelly was able to convince him to come back because I think they were a little bit worried about their quarterback situation boiling down to Garrett Nussmeyer and then a true freshman uh, quarterback in Walker Howard. So it looks like he will be returning to LSU, and we will see where he goes forward because, again, injuries have been a real problem for him. And if I had a guess today, Garrett Nussmeyer is probably the starting quarterback at LSU next year. Uh, but here's so Miles Brandon just coming back makes it a little bit more interesting. So uh, there's all the transfer news and everything. Uh, let's go ahead and... Take a small break with a little bit of water. <sighs> Let's go talk about some of these bowls. So, we have eight bowls this weekend. Um, it's just a nice kind of wet, wet appetizer. No, none of these games are like super huge matchups between like Power 5 v Power 5 teams. A lot of Group of 5 v Group of 5 teams. A lot of teams that kind of just relatively barely made bowl games and such um but even so like there's a lot of interesting stuff here and if you're in a bowl league and you got to set your lineups or in addition to that if you're just looking for props and stuff like that to be looking out for in these games just take a look at some of these games see what uh provide you some information that maybe you'd be interested in so uh first we got the bahamas bowl uh the bowl that everybody says for some reason is like oh that's the best bowl because it's the most beautiful it's like well, it's the most beautiful if you can afford to go to it. And, like, let's be honest, most of us can't afford to just drop a couple thousand dollars to get a plane ticket to the Bahamas 
to go watch checks notes middle tennessee versus toledo um i like toledo um they got a couple guys on there that i like a lot daquan finn the quarterback there i think has really kind of come on near the end of this year it looks like he solidified that job brian kobach obviously if you if you've had him on your rosters the past couple of weeks in cff or the last couple of weeks uh of the season uh he was incredible for you um and then you got some wide receivers there that i'm a little bit interested in like devin maddox uh, matt landers uh really has kind of become a piece for them and then looking at middle tennessee again there's not much there that like i'm super impressed with like i'm looking at like so middle tennessee has the third or the 33rd rushing defense in the country and even then i'm looking at that and i'm wondering just like how much of that was because you play in conference usa like let's be real and i don't even i don't even think they played um i don't even think they played uh marshall off the top of my head let me let me let me double check that but even still like it's not not an incredibly um not an incredibly impressive schedule that they had kind of going on like looking back here yet oh no they did play marshall let's see how how well did they do uh shutting down rasheen ali oh you know just 19 19 carries for 113 yards and three touchdowns just you know like definitely a shut down rushing defense now I'm not I'm not super impressed in Middle Tennessee and I it, it looks like Toledo I believe is favored by 10 points in this game. If I was a betting man, I probably or um if I was if I bet on spreads and stuff like that, I'd probably take Toledo in the points here. I get Middle Tennessee strikes me as a we're just happy to be here kind of team and so I I I take Toledo. I take the points here. Um I think they're going to be I I think they're going to honestly destroy Middle Tennessee. I don't really see much um I don't see much potential for Middle Tennessee here, or really any of their players. Um, in fact, I did on my prize picks. I took, I took uh, Martel Petaway, their uh, lead running back. Again, they got a split backfield there, but Martel Petaway has a props on prize pick of eight point eight fantasy points. I took the under on that. Um, I really don't think Middle Tennessee is going to do very well in this game. So. From the Bahamas Bowl, we'll move on to the Cure Bowl, and this is between MAC champion Northern Illinois versus Coastal Carolina, who wasn't the runner-up to the Sun Belt, but they were, I would say, definitely, like, you look at them and, like, that's the third-place team right there. Um, and I think this is a pretty interesting matchup. We saw Northern, last time we saw Northern Illinois, just body-bagged Kent State. Like, that was one of the most shocking results I've seen in a while. Um, not that I didn't think Northern Illinois couldn't win that game, but just the way they shut down Kent State was so, so impressive. Uh, once they got out to a lead, they forced Kent State to pass, and they were just able to shut down what's usually a very good offense in that Kent State. Um, I doubt, though, that they're going to be able to replicate that here against Northern Il or against Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina had... Um, had Grayson McCall not gone down with injury, very likely looking at a 11-1, if not 12-0 record, um, and easily one of the best group of five teams in the country. They have an offense that can attack you both through the air and on the ground. They got like a three-headed monster running back between um, between uh, Shamari Jones and uh, Reese White, and I forget the third one off the top of my head. Um, but again, and they could hit you through the air. Javon Haley and Isaiah Likely and Cam Brown, all three are people that you have to keep track of. And 
their defense just as well is great. Like, they got the 39th rushing defense in the country, 15th against the pass. Like, you are talking about a team that is built for success here versus Northern Illinois, which has much fun as they've been so far this year. Uh, they play in the MAC, which is great when they play against other MAC teams, but it's just a weak conference overall. And once they play out of conference, you really just see how weak that conference is in general. And I think Coastal Carolina wins this game pretty handedly. The big thing I'm pointing out here, though, and I know guys like Mike Bainbridge uh, agree with me on this, is that Northern Illinois likely falls behind in this game. And I think you can find some serious value in their um, on prize picks from their wide receivers and quarterback Rocky Lombardi. Uh, a lot of their numbers have been deflated because, again, you're looking at them going up against the defense that's 15th against the pass. Um, but even still, like, you're looking, like, Rocky Lombardi, uh, Trayvon Rudolph, Cole Tucker, like, these are all guys that can make plays, and they're all being depreciated. Like, Rocky Lombardi has 15 fantasy points. Rocky Lombardi playing from behind, having to pass as much as he will in this game, uh, in order to keep up with Coastal Carolina, I think he's going to be just fine. I think he hits over the 15 points. Uh, Trayvon Rudolph and Cole Tucker, I think both easily hit uh, their 12.5 and 11.5 points, respectively. And even if you're worried about the points, the reception numbers for this game are kind of insane. Like, I think both Trayvon Rudolph and Cole Tucker, like, their over-under is like 3.5 or 4 points, uh, or 3.5 or 4 receptions for this game. I'm sorry, if they're going to be passing that much... You know those guys are going to hit over that. You know for a fact. Um, and then just additional, like, Trayvon Rudolph's also being deflated because the last two weeks have been just really, really rough for him. Um, he had, like, two points uh, in, like, the last week of the season. He only had eight points against Kent State. But if you watch the Kent State game, it was the most frustrating freaking thing on the planet because, like, dude was being hit on deep shot after deep shot and Kent State defenders just drape themselves over him. Like, just the most blatant pass interference you've ever seen in your entire life. It was called all every time. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm glad they called it. But it's very frustrating because you're sitting there every time they, sh they like, threw a deep shot to Rudolph. And it was, like, 60 yards down the field and, like, some of them for touchdowns. And you just watch this Kent State player just ram straight into him. It was so frustrating. Um, but even so... I think Trayvon Rudolph definitely hits over on that. Um, but that's where I think the value in this game lies. But it, regardless, I think Coastal Carolina wins this game, and I think they win it pretty handedly. So those are the two Friday games. So there's two Friday bowl games. we got six games on Saturday, so we'll go ahead and talk about the first one of those here. we got the Boca Raton Bowl. Uh, this is Western Kentucky versus Appalachian State. Appalachian State, a three-point favorite. This is 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, again, on Saturday. Immediately, the thing that sticks out here, here to me is why is Appalachian State favored by three points? I get it that uh, Western Kentucky is uh, in the CUSA. They don't play very good competition. Uh, but even so, we've seen this offense that they run really take apart even like a high FBS team, like Power 5 teams. We've seen them put up great numbers against those teams. Appalachian State, I think it easily still put up some points in this game, but I think 
Western Kentucky, especially if they have everybody playing, it's a little up in the air whether or not Mitchell Tinsley, despite being in the transfer portal, will be playing in this game. Um, but the, it, the, the rumor is that he will still be playing in this game. So if they have all, if, if they have everything they need to run this offense in this game, I don't see why not. Western Kentucky can pull the quote-unquote upset here. Uh, even with Appalachian State having the 31st ranked defense against the pass, y'all, it hasn't mattered all year with Western Kentucky. They're going to pass all over you. Um, now, again, again, really the question then becomes, can Chase Bryce and Thomas Hennigan and um, Malik Williams, you know, they won't have uh, Corey Sutton. They, he is not going to be playing in the game. But uh, can those guys take advantage of the fact that Western Kentucky has the 113th uh, defense against the pass? And can they do what UTSA did to them uh, during the CUSA championship game where Sincere McCormick ran all over Western Kentucky's defense? Um, can guys like Cameron Peoples do that? Can Nate Noel do that? Don't know. Again, I would lean here Western Kentucky. In addition to that, just like guys like Bailey Zapp and Jared Stearns, like they're planning on going to the draft. They're they know that this is their opportunity to like put themselves on a pretty big stage and go out on one last hurrah. I think that they do it. I think they win this game. I, 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 yeah, I think I think they win this game. So, yeah. So we'll go ahead and move on from that from the Boca Raton Bowl. We're now moving on to the New Mexico Bowl, which is sponsored by PUBG Mobile. Which, as somebody who played PUBG, like, what? <laughs> How how did this happen? How does PUBG sponsoring a a football a fo a uh, college football bowl? Uh, I I was a little taken aback by that when I saw that. That was that that was just definitely a surreal moment. But anyway, who's playing in this game? Well, we got the UTEP Miners and we got the Fresno State Bulldogs. Fresno State favored by eleven and a half points in this game. This on this game is on ESPN at two fifteen, and again this is also on Saturday. Um, one, one pattern I've seen about these bowl games, like just a little pause moment, one pattern I've seen so far with these games, almost every one of these games started off as like a single digit spread. And there's been a lot of them that have just moved over into fatter and fatter spreads. Like there was a lot of value apparently at the beginning of this, uh, bowl season where you could get a lot closer lines, um, than you're getting now. But even still... Sorry, needed more water. Um, what's interesting in this game for me to look at? I'll be honest with you guys, not a not a ton. Uh, I think for, I I think this line's right. I think Fresno State probably wins this game pretty comfortably. Really, the question becomes just by how much and how much. Like UTEP supposedly has some good defense. They got they're the thirtieth in the country against the pass. They are forty second against the run. So I have to imagine that they'll be slowing down Fresno State just a little bit. But Fresno State's defense isn't that far behind. Uh, they're 44th against the pass and then 32nd against the rush. Pretty much almost flip-flopped. Um, and just Fresno State has just a better offense all around. So I think they're going to be just fine. You could probably find some value in Jake Heiner. Jake Heiner's uh, prop points on uh, prize picks right now. 23.5 fantasy points. I think he could probably hit that pretty easily. Uh, meanwhile, Jacob Cowling, uh, he's at 21, maybe something there. Um, but even so, I, again, 
not not too much to say on this game for me. I think Fresno State wins this game pretty pretty comfortably. And as good of the se- as a season the Miners have had so far, I think this is kind of where it comes to an or I mean season ends for everybody. But I think Fresno State's the one that goes out on a high note here. So go ahead and move on from that, and we'll go ahead and move on to UAB versus BYU. BYU a seven point favorite here. Uh, it's a 3.30 game on ABC, not ESPN. ABC gets this one. Also on Saturday, it is the, not the walk-ons, Independence Bowl. It is a different sponsor for it this year. I forget what it is off the top of my head. Um, but I also couldn't find the new logo. Uh, let's see. It is the... Where, come on. walk-ons radiance technologies independence bowl so i could i couldn't find the uh i couldn't find the new logo for this year so we're sticking with the uh walk-ons independence bowl here uh logo so forgive me for that um but even so very interesting matchup here you got a good group of five team in uab going up against let's be real a top 15 team in byu and i think byu is probably feeling a little bit like insulted by this because again like you know your top 15 team you think you get put up against you know probably somebody of higher quality but here you are you're going up against uab but uab has the 11th ranked rushing defense in the country and like no matter what even though they play in conference usa like 11th rushing ranked defense is still very impressive they're only averaging 104 uh rushing yards per game like allowed like that again i don't care who you play that's pretty impressive um, and I guarantee you'd be lower than that if they didn't play against Georgia. And so, but then you got BYU and their, their defenses are a little bit more porous. Uh, you got, they're the 67th against the rush, 77th against the pass. Uh, so I think there's going to be some interesting lines here that you can probably take advantage of. Um, the biggest one to me, Tyler Algier has a line of 22 and a half points on prize picks, uh, in terms of fantasy points here. That's a Against the 11th ranked rushing defense in the country, like, BYU has shut down better backs than Tyler Algier, guys like Rasheen Ali, and I think that it's very, very possible for them to keep Tyler under, let's see, even if, the Tyler, even if he gets 100 yards and two touchdowns, he still doesn't meet this number, I think it's very possible for UAB's uh, front seven to keep him under on that, unless they start passing the ball to him a lot, which is possible. Uh, he is a big receiving back for this offense, but I don't know, 22 and a half points just seems way too high for me. Um, but Dwayne McBride going up against the uh, 67th rush ranked defense, he has an over under prop of 15 and a half points. I think there's some value there. Uh, Garrett Prince has a uh, fantasy points prop of 10 and a half points. Probably, I'd, I'd go over there, but even still, like going back to the receptions, uh, Garrett Prince, I believe, has a over-under on receptions of three and a half points. I could easily, easily see um, UAB trying to take, a, take advantage of the 77th ranked passing defense using Garrett Prince uh, and hit him at least four or five times in this game. So I think he... Um, I think I think that that's a prop you could probably take advantage of in this game. Now, who do I think will win? I think you're probably looking at BYU here again. Like BYU is still a great team. I I don't know why they're facing against UAB again. UAB is a good team too, but like 
BYU struck me as a team that was almost just a, like a level above. So I think BYU wins this. I think they win it pretty comfortably. Or um, but UAB makes it somewhat of an interesting game. I'd say I think that line of like one touchdown, I think is perfectly right. So those are my kind of thoughts on this game. I think BYU wins the Independence Bowl. We will see. All right. Next up, we have probably the worst named bowl. I don't know how this is a bowl, but we have the Lending Tree Bowl, uh, which is uh, formerly it looks like the Birmingham Bowl, which is a very big shame because uh, the Birmingham Bowl was such a great little joke for uh, SEC fans, uh, which is also a bigger shame because it's not an SEC team, SEC team playing in this. Uh, we got Eastern Michigan versus Liberty. Liberty, a nine and a half point favorite. Uh, this is the 5.45 p.m. game on ESPN. Also on Saturday. Um, yeah, the big thing for me here is I think Liberty's going to stomp Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan is really not that good of a team. They are very, like, the only reason why they're bowl eligible is because they play in the MAC, and there's other teams that they can. Squeak some, squeak some games out against that allows them to get to 6-6. Six and six. I think Liberty's going to stomp in this game, especially Malik Willis, who will be going in looking to impress a lot of NFL scouts after he had a very rough end to the season. I think that he's going to come in here. He's got a prop of 25.5 fantasy points on prize picks right now. I think he hits that over pretty easily here. Eastern Michigan has a very, very terrible rushing defense. They are... 110th in the country against the rush. I think Malik Willis using his rushing ability could easily take advantage of that. Again, take the points on Malik Willis uh, in terms of fantasy points because he'll get that through the air or on the ground. I think he's looking to put on a show for people. I think he's going to be. I think he's going to have a great game. And with that, I think Liber I think Liberty's going to stomp Eastern Michigan. I I really just don't see Eastern Michigan doing very well in this game. So. Go ahead and move on to our seventh bowl game here. Uh, we got our first group of five versus power five matchup of the year in the bowl games, and that is the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl. And we got Utah State versus Oregon State. Oregon State, a seven-point favorite over Utah State, who is the Mountain West champion of this season, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, this is a 7:30 game on ABC. Uh, once again on Saturday. So a couple of things here to kind of keep in mind. Uh, I'm surprised that um, Oregon State is favored by an entire touchdown in this game. I get, I get there's a gap between Power 5 and Group of 5 in that sense. Um, but I guess... They're kind of looking at this and they're seeing a mismatch between B.J. Baylor and Utah State's uh, 85th rushing defense, which against Power 5 competition is probably much higher than that. They're probably giving up more uh, yards on the ground per game, so maybe there, there's some value there with B.J. Baylor because he's, he's got a fantasy points a prop of 16.5 points, so probably take the over there for that. Um, and even still, if Oregon State gets out to a lead here, that's where Utah State can really shine because Utah State's probably best asset is the fact that they have a great passing game. Logan Bonner there at QB, uh, he's got uh, he's got a uh, fantasy prop of 22.5 points. 
Um, I think if they fall behind pretty well in this game, you could easily see him hit that over, and if this game becomes a bigger shootout than we're expecting. Uh, Devin Tompkins and Brandon Bowling are both right around that 18, 17 and a half point range in terms of their fantasy props. Um, I don't think the value's there, but Devin Tompkins has a... Um, Devin Tompkins has a uh, reception over under of five and a half points. And the only times he hasn't hit that has been when he's gotten five receptions. So there's definitely some value there. And once again, especially if Utah State falls behind Oregon State, as the spread is kind of indicating that Oregon State could easily take a lead in this game, I think you'd absolutely see Devin Tompkins getting plenty of work in this game. Um, in terms of who wins this game, I'm, I guess I'm going to call the upset on this one. Because, like, again, like I kind of get the seven points for Oregon State. But, like, is the Oregon State's a good team. Don't get me wrong. But, like, I think Utah State, like, just what they, what they were able to do to uh, San Diego State in the Mount West Championship game, that was like, very impressive to me. And I think they kind of keep rolling with that. They go in here and they beat a Power 5 team. So I'm going to take Utah State to pull the upset here. All right, finally, we got one last bowl game we're going to talk about here, and that is the New Orleans Bowl, which might have the winner of the worst logo. Because, uh, like, the actual the actual New Orleans Bowl part looks fine, especially with the lantern there in, like, the lantern uh, coming over the O and the O being shaped like a moon. All that looks great, and I love the, I love the Mardi Gras theme of, like, the purple, the yellow, and the green. And then you have the stupid R&L Carriers logo at the top that just boxes out that entire top section. It looks awful. It looks awful. But I'm not a graphic designer, and you guys don't really care that much about my graphic design opinions. Anyway, where should we be looking for in value here? What player should we be looking at? Well, first and foremost, you got to look at Rasheen Ali. Even going up against the 50th rush ranking defense in the country, Rasheen Ali, I think, still going to have a pretty good game in, uh, game in this game in this bowl game good lord let me try that again um his over under on fantasy or on prize picks is uh 22 and a half fantasy points i i don't really think you should take either way on that because like again going up against the 50th rank it seems like it's kind of a lot but again rasheen ali is going to get every single um goal line carry grant wills hasn't really stole those from him since like that one game mid-season where he got like four goal line carries which was one of the most infuriating things ever as a Rasheen Ali owner. Um, but I don't think that happens again. I think Rasheen Ali um, has a good game. I don't know if it's over under 20, 22 and a half points. So I'd probably stay away from that one. Uh, Amani Bailey on Louisiana is interesting because he's the only running back for Louisiana that has a over under prop on prize picks, which is interesting because Montreux Johnson is going to be playing in this game. Chris Smith is questionable, but... If Chris Smith is out of this game and Amani Bailey and Montreal Johnson are the only two that are playing, I could easily see Amani Bailey hitting his fantasy prop of 16.5 points because they are going against Marshall's defense, who is the 104th ranked against the rush. And again, they play in the CUSA. So that's probably worse when you consider like the competition that they play against. Um, even still, who do I think wins this game? This will be an interesting one to me um, because... I have uh, one or two Raging Cajun fans, and the there's there's definitely a different there's definitely a uh, different reaction to this game because a lot of them were saying we went eleven or we went twelve and one. What what are we doing 
playing against Marshall, who went seven and a five. We should be having a much better bowl game than this. And I don't, I don't disagree with it. I think it's ridiculous that the Raging Cajuns are in the New Orleans Bowl. Like, I get it because of geography and like maybe New Orleans Bowl was really pushing to have a Louisiana team in the bowl game because they couldn't have Tulane. Um, but even still, it de- it definitely does kind of feel like a slap in the face. So it's like you can react in one of two ways. Can you come out here and just stomp Marshall? To prove a point or do you just have guys especially with billy napier just um out on on his way out the door do you have guys just show up and just not caring that much uh definitely be a very interesting dynamic to watch um but i'm gonna i'm gonna be positive here i think raging cajuns win this game i wouldn't be surprised though if it's less than five points so uh that's our show for tonight y'all again we had a lot of stuff to get through um, we had to get through some of the early signing day uh, guys who are officially heading to their new schools. I want to talk about some of those guys who I think are going to be instant impacts next year. Had a ton, a ton of transfer portal news. So we will be uh, uh, continuing to provide you guys that as the season goes on because we have one wave going on right now. We're going to have another wave after the national championship when people are deciding whether they go to the draft or whether they want to transfer and try it again in a different school stuff like that um and then finally just went over some of those bowl games and everything that we got going on this weekend uh i will be releasing to you guys on monday it'll be recorded a little bit early so you'll notice like i'll be talking about some of the bowl games from saturday during the broadcast um record i'm going to record it a little early um and release it to you guys on monday i'll be on a trip uh so if you don't hear from me that's probably why um but even in addition to that i appreciate y'all listening uh, again, had a lot of information. And again, doing this solo, there's a lot of talking for me to do. And I'm just now finishing my water. Mm. But even still, appreciate y'all listening. Once again, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button. Hit the notification bell and leave a comment right down there below. If you're listening to this on podcasts, make sure wherever you are following us, you are following, you are hitting that follow button. And in addition to that, um, if you want to ever want to get in contact with me, I am at CFF underscore Jared on Twitter. Always the best way to reach me. Guys, going right into the middle of this bowl se- season, we're going to keep content coming to you guys, and we're going to keep it going throughout the offseason. There, no, there will be no breaks for Chase and Natty going forward. We're going to keep you guys with us all throughout the offseason. For everybody listening, y'all have a wonderful, wonderful, blessed day.